I feel like there's also a place where you're just content. So now I could go buy a $10 million house if I wanted to. I can go live on the beach and I can have the biggest, most beautiful house I want. But our house is great. It's a good house. So I don't feel like I need to move anywhere. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All righty. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 89. On this show, we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. Last week on the show, we had Mrs. Frugalwoods. Mrs. Frugalwoods lives in rural Vermont, and our conversation around centered around frugal living, intentionality, and fire. So if you haven't heard that first interview, go check it out. A really great story with her. Again, that's episode number 88. Before we get into today's show, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Obsidian Capital. Creating passive income is one of the quickest ways to create and establish wealth. At Obsidian Capital, their core philosophy is to enable qualified investors to create long-term wealth passively through strategic real estate investments. Their team of experienced real estate professionals identified stabilized and value-added multifamily real estate assets that will provide strong financial returns, a healthy risk profile, tax incentives, and additional benefits that come with investing in real estate. They pride themselves on a level of integrity and of experience in acquiring and managing over $300 million in multifamily assets. Furthermore, their leadership has 45 years of combined industry experience. View their website today to learn more about their streamlined investment process at www.obsidiancapitalco.com. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, feel free to reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'll jump on a quick call with you to discuss our opportunities and strategy. We currently partner with a couple groups that have large track record of success and high returns. We have opportunities available for both accredited and non-accredited investors in different locations throughout the country. If you'd like to be on the show as a millionaire interviewee or one who is close to reaching millionaire status, feel free to reach out again. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We think that each millionaire has something to add to the show, and there are people that are interested in both one's story and investment allocation. On today's show, we have Jeff from Raging Bull. Jeff has a current net worth of over $10 million. We discuss his story and financial footprint. He also shares insight into his company, his investing mistakes, and his plans for the future. So without any further delay, please help me welcome Jeff. Jeff, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? You know, I started uh, RagingBull.com about eight years or so ago, and I was in the financial marketing space prior to that. I'd been working off our kitchen table, building a small business with a few years leading up into that, and then... I had found this, uh, I was able to learn that people wanted to buy financial education products. We built a company around that. And so that's grown explosively over the last few years. And today it's a very sizable company. Awesome. What did you do before you started Raging Bull? You know, I had all kinds of small entrepreneurial jobs prior to this. I had, uh, I had a lawn business that I had in Dallas for about four years. So I did landscape and lawns in the brutal Texas summers. I decided that wasn't where I really wanted to go in my life. <laughs> and I uh, had a bagel shop for almost a year. I did roofing for a short period of time. I sold used cars, both at some car dealerships. And I had my own car sales license and, and bought cars myself for a year or two around that 
So I've done all kinds of things. Um, kind of ended with with me saying, you know what, I'm never going to have a small business again. None of them actually really paid off and were successful for me. So I just said, I'm not going to do that any anymore. And my wife was finishing up her PhD at the time. So she was on track to have a pretty well-paying job. And we had just had our oldest son. And I said, all right, if you finish up your PhD, I will stay home with the son and I'll raise him and you get the great job and then we'll be set after that. So that was kind of our plan in life early on. And then in the midst of that, I started working from home and I just kind of stumbled into this business. Honestly, it's kind of evolved over the years to where it is now, but um, the whole online marketing and financial space really appealed to me and I really caught on to it. Did you buy any of those small businesses or did you end up starting all of them from scratch? I started everything. Well, the bagel shop I bought an interest in, but everything else I started from scratch. So I never had any money, so I really couldn't invest anything to buy a company. So it was twofold. That really kept me out of debt, which I figure is a big, uh, it's a big reason I've been successful today is I've avoided debt over my years. So I haven't had to worry about repaying lenders and investors. And it's given me the opportunity to try all kinds of different things. So, you know, one time I thought I was going to be the lawn king of North Dallas. So I was going to build my empire that way. <laughs> I might have, I mean, that I could have easily gone that route, but it just didn't work out. But um, I feel like that's been one of the things that's enabled me to take a lot of shots over my years and kind of landed where I am today. Yeah, that's awesome. You shared with us that, that your net worth north of eight figures. Let's kind of get into to your investment strategy. I and mean, you kind of even let us or let us know that your personal holdings are, are much more conservative. Do you want to just kind of break that down for our listeners and kind of how you go about investing and, and kind of where you've gotten yourself today? Sure. So initially, I, I you know, I started trading about 20 years ago when I and I scraped together like $2,000 to open my first Ameritrade account. This is back in, this is when the tech bubble was just starting back in, well, you know, 2000. So the internet was new. Um, online traders were just kind of getting out there and I had to get a piece of that action. So I scraped together a couple thousand bucks, grew it into, I don't know, maybe $50,000 or so in a couple of years and really thought I was, I was a king of this stuff. I was going to do it. Well, the internet bubble popped and I lost a good chunk of that money. I was I was making enough to to day trade and make a living with, you know, less than fifty thousand dollars in my account. I was making enough profit to live on every month. So I thought that was pretty cool for a while. Well, the internet bubble popped and it turned out I wasn't such a great trader after all. So I had to go back to the drawing board. I learned that stocks didn't just go up every day. So I had to actually build a trading strategy. And that took me I think it took me like five years after that of kind of on the side, learning and teaching myself how to trade and what to trade. And uh, just through a lot of hard knocks, learning the ropes on how to trade and, and what made a successful trader versus unsuccessful. So that took a while. And then, you know, five or 10 years after that, I really developed a good strategy that worked for me, mainly trading options. And then that's really how the, the company I built today has blossomed. So that's as um, I've been able to teach other people trading strategies. That's what our company's built on now. So let's just dive into that and then we'll kind of circle back to your past a little bit. Maybe explain to us, what does it mean to trade options for somebody that's not familiar or doesn't really know what that means? Yeah. So most people are used to just buying a stock. So um, they, they think you can only buy a stock and you can only make money if they go up. So you, you like Apple computer and you know Apple trades. So you go to your uh, Ameritrade account and you go and buy some shares of Apple stock and you hope that goes higher. 
Well, there's also things called options, which are contracts on stocks. So they give you the right to buy or sell stocks at a future date at a set price. So you can buy, you can use leverage essentially to own a lot of shares of Apple for a certain amount of time. So you can take, you maybe took $10,000 to go buy a handful of Apple shares. Well, you could take $10,000 and buy Apple options and control thousands of shares of Apple options, or you might only control, you know, a hundred shares of stock if you went out and bought it. So options give you the ability to control a lot of stock for a short period of time. And if you're right on the stock move in that time, you can make a lot of money because you have control of a lot of shares. So conversely, you can lose a lot of money if you're wrong. So there's a there's a um a balance there of how much risk you're gonna take, but options do give you the ability to make a lot of money in a short period of time. So that's kind of been your investing strategy now. You know, that's been what I've been most successful with over time is uh, trading options. They just appeal to me. I love taking risks, so the op- the risk side of options appeals to me, but also all the different strategies with it. So going back to Apple, so if you're just buying Apple stock all the time, that's just a one-way strategy. You're just waiting to buy Apple on dips or you're just buying it on breakouts or whatever it is, So, or you're just buying it and holding it forever. Well, with options, you have tons of different strategies available. You can make money if Apple goes down tomorrow, or you can make money if Apple stays flat and doesn't go anywhere for the next month. You can make money if Apple goes up 10% next year or down 10 Whatever you think it's going to happen, if if that does happen, there's an, there's an option strategy for it that you can profit from. So I really like that. So how do you follow that? And how do you, you know, someone's sitting here thinking, hey, I don't know what the market's going to do, too. So how do you make your bet on your options? Well, you should come follow me at RagingBull.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a lot of ways that investors can start making bets that way. So I think the easiest thing to do is start buying calls on stocks. So I would suggest investors, if you brand new to the market or never traded, just start with like follow five stocks. So go around your house, find five stocks that make products that you already own and like. So I'm looking at my office right now. There is an Apple computer. There's a Sony camera. Let's see what else I've got. There's uh, some Nike shoes. So all these things are public companies. I already like them. I've got the products in my house, so I'm already buying them. And maybe I start following their stock. So what I would do is just suggest that people go out and start looking at the stock charts of five different stocks that you really like and just become kind of intimately connected to them. So learn the ebbs and flows, learn kind of when they're going, when's a, when a stock goes up too far and when it goes back down too low, and then start looking for a place where you can buy the dips. Or if you think a stock's breaking out higher, maybe buy the breakouts when they really start running. So just become really connected to a handful of stocks. And then after that, for options, I think that everybody should start just buying calls because you're most familiar with making money on stocks going up. And so if you buy a call, it's going to let you participate in making money as a stock climbs. So learn how to buy calls for options. Uh, you can also make money on the downside buying puts. So people usually aren't familiar with that. They're not comfortable with it at first, but some of my biggest profits are made with buying puts because you know if you follow the market, stocks tend to drop a lot faster than they go up. So when you hit the right day and markets go down, you can make a lot of money really quick with puts. So that appeals to me. So what are you investing here? Is this is this your own personal money? How much are you pulling out? How much do you know to, to reinvest in the company? What's kind of that balance for you and in reinvesting in your business? Yeah. So most of my money has been made through my business and through uh, income from the different products we sold over the years. So mainly I made my money that way. 
I do make a considerable amount trading stocks, but you know, majority of my income is from selling education right now. It's become from other businesses in the past in the same sector, but that's how I make most of my money today. Gotcha. So let's go back to this debt. You kind of talked about how you didn't have much debt when you were starting these businesses or trying to start these businesses. Obviously, you're happy you did that, right? Because now you're not paying off huge amounts of debt. But how was that critical to your success? You know, at the time, it was really hard. I I tried to borrow a lot of money. (laughs) I always thought if I had, if I could just get my hands on some capital, I could be successful because if someone loaned me a lot of money, I was going to buy a lot of used cars, for example, and then I'd make a big return on it. Well, nobody would loan me the money or if they would loan me the money to buy my more, more lawnmowers and build the business that that would fix the problems. Well, it turns out lenders are pretty smart. They knew that was a bad risk. And over the years, I've learned that lending to people like that, like I was at the time, that's, that's a bad risk because what people in my situation then tend to think all the time is that my problem is my lack of capital. That's if I had more capital, it would fix everything. What I found is that is just not true. There's You can't throw money at bad ideas and bad management and make it work. And we all like to think we have great ideas and we're great managers, but it's just not the case. I think you prove it when you go from $0 and you build some company that makes some money. So if you can take zero, build it into something that produces income, that's a good manager. That shows you got a good business. You got a good manager. That is now something you want to invest in. But just thinking you're going to get your hands on money and it's going to build your business is not really the the right way to go. So I think a lot of early entrepreneurs make that mistake. So which of these businesses that you tried to start was the closest to getting there before Raging Bull? You know, I think the lawn business had a, a lot of potential. The The cars did pretty well, but I think it was really too capital intensive. Um, I think the lawns actually had a good chance. If I'd stuck with that, I'm sure I would have been pretty successful in the lawn business in Dallas. It's a big, huge market and you know people that have integrity and do a good job and show up on time, they really stand out. So I would have I would have hit all those buttons and I'm pretty sure I would have had a really successful lawn business today. Yeah, and how come that ultimately ended? Uh, you know, those 100 degree summers, they really got to me. <laughs> 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 I said <laughs> I remember one of my clients, his name was Bob. He had a, a beautiful house up in North Dallas that I was cutting his grass every week. And he really took an interest in me. And I, he asked me what my plans were. And I, I was told him about building my lawn business. He said, uh, you know what? That's that's just not what you want to do. <laughs> I didn't think he knew what he was talking about because I had this planned out in my head. I was going to make tons of money by building thousand lawn accounts and all this cash flow I was going to generate off of it. And uh, he was like, nah, 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 nah. You, you got to do something else. <laughs> so he, he knew I was a smart guy and I was a, I was a hard worker and was driven. So he, he said there were other ways. He really, he taught me a lot about the stock market early on before he really had any money to invest or even knew about it. So that was a, he was a key figure in my life. My parents had no money either. So we'd lay the paycheck to paycheck and there was no financial education there at all. Uh, but a few guys like Bob along the way really helped steer me in the right direction and show me that there was, there was a way to make money in the market. And, you know, that ultimately became the, the guiding thing for me. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you obviously had a work ethic. You had a drive, right, from going to, to, to working hard and kind of starting these businesses and, and trying to get things done and, and make it happen. But how did you learn along the way? Was it just through mentors? Was it people like that who you met? Or was it through books and doing your own research? Or, or how did you kind of come to learn all these things? Yeah, I've always tried to study people around me, both successful and unsuccessful. So we, we come in contact with a lot of people, and I've always tried to 
you know, look at people of the, the good things I want to take from them as I've learned to know them. So there's been a lot of guys along my life that uh, are older than me that have either, you know, pulled me aside and taught me a few things here and there, or, you know, mainly I've just kind of watched them at a distance. Maybe I've been a little, you know, had some proximity, but they didn't directly mentor me, but I really gleaned a lot from their life and how they lived and how they managed their money, how they manage their family. And I've applied that to my own life. And conversely, on their side, like guys I know that have really mismanaged their business or their life or have taken risks they never should have taken. And I think I've learned a lot from people who have really made a lot of mistakes too. They've kind of mentored me too in the same way. Like I've, I've learned a lot of things not to do by watching other people do it. So these examples are all around us. We just spend some time and watch them. It's, it's good. I think podcasts like yours are great. I didn't have these 20 years ago. I wish I did. You could learn like the best lessons from people who have gone through experiences like, like I went through and you could save 20 years experience. It'd be great. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? How many resources and, and ultimately how many f- free resources are available, right? Between yeah, I mean, you guys have a great podcast and... and there's so many other ones out there where people just share their life experiences and, and testimonies all the time. So I think it's just a fantastic resource in the webinar and the uh, internet that people just don't take advantage of all the time. Right. So, Jeff, it's pretty crazy. How old are you? I'm 44 now. So 44. How old were you when you first became a millionaire? Was it because of Raging Bull or was it through a different company? Oh, it was through my uh, my first business. That first internet business became successful. I was about um, my early 30s, probably like 32. Okay. And now worth, you know, obviously you shared over 10 million. I mean, did you think that's where you were going to go? Was that ever a goal or is it just kind of something that happened because of your hard work ethic and, and drive? Well, from at $0, my goal was to make a million. I said, man, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make a million bucks. That was just a magic number. And, you know, that happened once I found this internet stuff. <laughs> that happened a lot quicker than I thought. And then then I kind of set new goals along the way. But you know, after I made that first million, I was so amazed. That, that's, of course, life-changing. That, that meant I paid off my house, didn't have any car debt. You know, bills were not an issue anymore. So I just got to focus on building a business and doing the thing. Yeah, let's let's get into that a little bit because I think that is an interesting point you make that that once you kind of got to to that let's just call it the top of the mountain there or or halfway up the mountain of of, of where you wanted to go at the million, things mm-hmm. kind of changed in in your mind a little bit where your focus shifted. You didn't worry so much about bills and whatnot. Can you just kind of maybe shed some light for our listeners on kind of the mindset shift you had and maybe even talk about your risk profile? I'm assuming that you probably were able to to kind of take some more calculated risks because you didn't have those other things that you were worried about. And then maybe talk a little bit about your lifestyle and whether or not that changed and, and if it did, how so, as you've kind yeah. of grown more wealth. Yeah, good question. Um, well, first of all, my wife has always been very supportive of me and all my stupid endeavors over the years. So uh, we've never had debt, like I said, and she's always let me take a lot of risk because you know, put a few thousand dollars into something, it's not going to destroy your life. It's just maybe wasting a year or two, but you can always pick yourself back up. So uh, I've been able to take you know some crazy risks over the years. I played um, online poker like professionally when it first started, um, <laughs> probably like actually 16 years ago because my oldest son is 16 now and I was actually playing online poker as my first job while I was watching him while she was in her PhD program like we talked about earlier so I was playing online poker all the time and that really fit well with my personality too I like to take those calculated risks like you said and I feel like I run my business the same way 
I like to put a lot of chips on the on the table when I feel like I have a, a good bet, but I don't like to expose myself where I could lose everything on the wrong hand. So I think poker taught me a lot about that too. Uh, so I attribute a lot to my wife being very uh, sympathetic to me and giving me a lot of freedom over the years and uh, my risk taking. So I like to take a lot of risk, but I don't like to take so much risk that I could ever be wiped out in anything. That goes with my trading, which is super important. I think too many guys overlook that in trading. And then their business. I feel like they take too many risks, they uh, attack growth too much. And you know, if it works, it's great for a while, but you're really putting everything on the line in your business is a really risky proposition. So uh, I've never done that either. So I've been able to grow our business from zero to where it is today without taking any debt on and kind of slowly growing along the way just by reinvesting and you know living off our own cash flow instead of investors and uh, having to take a lot of debt. Do you have a rule of thumb on that in a, in a given year about how much you might take home versus reinvest in your business? It, it's changed over the years. Um, that's still something I kind of struggle with actually. So I look at how much money I take home in the day and it's great. It's a lot more than I used to take home. But as far as a margin, it's a lot lower than it used to be. So as the business grows, you're going to take home a lot less percentage just because of all the expenses that add up and the new people you bring on and all the stuff there. So, you know, we used to run really, really high margins in the beginning at a lower dollar volume, but now we're at a higher dollar volume with lower margins. And so trying to find the balance of not not going after revenue so much every year, but going after income is the important thing. So I've always focused on how to grow the income of the business, not just the sales, because who cares if you make $10 million or $100 million in sales? It's about the income you take home, really. If you're a public company, then you've got investors to appease, and investors will buy into that joke about revenues at all costs. Even though you might be losing $200 million and $100 million in revenue, they'll give that company a big valuation. But as a private owner, you care about income. So that's what I focus on most. Yeah, it's funny. We, we, we have a bunch of these tech unicorns kind of going public here, already have or going to in the near future, and they're in that boat, right? Where they've got tons of revenue and, and no profits to show for it. Yeah, it scares me right now. we got so many companies. Yeah. I mean, I was, like I said, I was there at the early tech bubble, you know, 20 years ago, and I saw the same thing. We had all these NASDAQ companies going public that were changing the world. The internet was moving and it was changing things. And they were right. The internet was changing the world, right? We see that 20 years later. But these companies were not... To be a company, you have to actually generate profits. You have to have um, not just a service that's good, but you have to be able to charge a price that's economically reasonable. So the problem we have today is that all these companies are growing and growing and growing so fast, but they're not able to charge a price that's economically feasible. So they're only able to grow because investors are plugging money into it. Uh, like Uber's coming public here and you know make tons of revenue. It's great. Let's give them an $80 billion valuation on it, even though they're going to lose $3 billion in income this year. Yep. yep. That's me. It doesn't sound good. That's crazy. <laughs> so as you've grown your wealth over, over the years, has your lifestyle changed at all? And if so, how? Yeah. I mean, of course it's changed. Um, let's see. I remember the... So the very first house my wife and I bought in Texas was uh, $20,000. <laughs> you could buy a house for 20000 bucks in very sketchy places in Texas at the time, about 20 years ago. Then, you know, we had our first son a few years after that. Our house was $100,000 and we took out a, a mortgage for it. And then we moved to North Dallas after that to uh, kind of go into this new business we were doing. And 
my house was a quarter million dollars. And I couldn't believe how much money that was at the time. And that was about 15 years ago. It's like, okay. So we took on another mortgage by that. And we had, um, I always paid cash in my cars. So you know, one thing real quick, I've always thought that and I still believe it's like cars are your worst investment. That's just a guaranteed investment that's going to lose money. It's probably the biggest drain on the American economy every year is just the amount of cars we buy. So people love to buy cars. It's a necessity, but my gosh, those things lose money every year. So that's a absolutely depreciating asset. So I've always thought, I'm going to limit that. So I've always paid cash for our cars, whether it's $2,000 or $5,000. We rarely had good cars, but a house, you know, a house is an appreciating asset. So it's different. So I've taking a loan out for a house. I don't quite consider the same. So anyways, our next house was, uh, you know, quarter million bucks. And then we sold that and we moved here to New Hampshire a few years after that house. And, you know, this house is half a million dollars. So that was a big jump. I was able to pay cash for that house. That, you know, it was a little stretch at the time, but it wasn't too bad. So, you know, our house has gone up over the years, but I feel like there's also a place where you're discontent. So now I could go buy a $10 million house if I wanted to. I can go live on the beach and I can have the biggest, most beautiful house I want. But our house is great. My kids live here. We have a great neighborhood. Uh, we have a great school system. So I live in this house we paid half a million bucks for. I've probably put half a million bucks in the house in the last 10 years. But, um, you know, it's it's a good house. So I don't feel like I need to move anywhere. And our, our cars are all paid for. Our cars have gotten better over the years, too. So I will say I've always driven a minivan. <laughs> I drive the best Honda Odyssey you can buy right now, but it's still a minivan. <laughs> that's freaking awesome. We're talking to a guy that's worth over multi-million. He's driving a minivan. I mean, that just goes <laughs> to tell you something, right? <laughs> All right? So I do like to, I like my private jet here and there. <laughs> I do like to buy some jet hours and that sure makes traveling a lot easier when I got to travel somewhere in the, on the East coast nowadays. <laughs> so but I still drive of- up to the jet, the minivan. <laughs> That's awesome. So outside of that, I mean, are, are do you have maids coming in to clean the house? You got people doing your lawn now. I mean, are are some of these other things that that people associate with wealthy people are those part of your life now? Or are you still pretty content? Do a lot of your own things, your own cooking. Do you have a you know personal chef, that kind of thing. Man, I, I got to change things. I I suck at this. I still <laughs> get up every morning. I cook breakfast for my kids. We pack in their lunch. We send them off to school. I cook dinner at night. <laughs> Nobody makes me lunches. Uh, just this afternoon, I was I had to go pick up my daughter at school. So I had to go load up our recycling and our uh, stuff and take it over the dump on the way over there in our minivan. So <laughs> here I am in our minivan taking our trash to the dump <laughs> by myself. And it makes no sense at all. I, I should be paying someone to do that. And, uh, as far as our lawn, I still cut my own grass. For the most part, my son's 16 now, so he, I've got him with a mower now. So my, my two boys will trade up on that. So I feel like that's a victory in life. But, uh, you know, I still blow leaves off my yard and take care of stuff. I don't know. That's just normal stuff. I try to outsource what I can, but I still, it's a pretty regular guy, honestly. Yeah. Let, uh, let's shift gears here a little bit. I kind of want to go back to, to maybe when you met your wife and maybe in the in the early years and kind of how the relationship's grown in terms of your communication with her over your financial situation and, and maybe kind of, you know, has she said, hey, I'm going to pursue my career as a professor and, you know, whatever you want to do is cool. Kind of talk a little bit about that and kind of how you all have been able to, to kind of get on the same page that way. So... 
when we first started, I was going to stay home and take care of my son while she finished her PhD. So she would get the job. So she was never super motivated to be the top professor or make a lot of money, but you know, she was a marketing professor and marketing professors make, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars a year. So that's a really good salary coming from people who came on food stamps and had no money <laughs> making a hundred thousand dollars a year is incredible. So that was a big jump for us, but that was never like her goal was to have a job or anything. She's, she'd rather be, you know, having running a soup kitchen or, uh, you know, taking care of kids in Africa or something like that. So she's much more, uh, philanthropic than I am, but she was going to have the job because she's really smart <laughs> and she's more, she's better at school than I was. Uh, so, so over the years, uh, so my business really kind of took off after I was working from home that first year or two, I was able to make, I don't know, I was making a hundred thousand dollars probably in the first year that I was working from home off my little kitchen table doing this online stuff. And then it's probably making a quarter million after that. And half, I was, I was growing 50% or hundred percent like for, for years and years. So it grew pretty quick while she was finishing up her PhD and, uh, then she had the freedom not to have to work anymore. So a few years after moving up here, she had the freedom not to work. So things worked out where she doesn't work at UNH anymore. And she's able to spend all the time she wants with our kids. And she can do all the social service stuff she wants to. So that kind of worked out well. So when you say you were working from the kitchen table doing the online stuff, are you just talking about you were trading? Um, I, I was, but you know, to really pay the bills, I was. I got hired as a writer for an online newsletter back then that was, um, I was writing about option articles. So I had a good option background. I studied this stuff. I got a, a finance degree. Um, my undergrads in finance, I got a master's degree in economics and I took some PhD level classes in option trading. So I knew a lot about options and there weren't many guys that would want to write option articles for the price I was willing to work for. So that worked out pretty good for me and them. So they got cheap articles and I got to write. And that kind of just grew into uh, other opportunities and then finding new things I was good at online. That was like my entry into working online was just writing those cheap articles for someone else and letting them make money off me. Gotcha. So you spend a lot of time on the market, obviously, and looking at stocks. Where do you think we're at now? I mean, just for our listeners, we're recording this May 9th. So, you know, there's been, what, a couple percent dip in the market, presumably because of the China and U.S. trade war. But where do you kind of see us going or what's your thoughts on where we're at now? Um, you know, technically, I mean, so I'm just not looking at fundamentals at all. I think technically there's a good chance we will see a pretty healthy pullback in the next few months. But I think that the market's probably still going to make a new high this year. So I think we'll probably dip at some points. Maybe we saw like a dip last few days, like you said. This one could turn into a 5 or 10% correction or who knows how much. But I think the markets will reverse and we'll still see a new high for the year. So I don't see anything that is stopping the market at this point. We've got low interest rates, got great unemployment rates. We have company earnings that are not stopping. So they're slowing, but they're not stopping at all. We're not seeing an earnings recession. So I think the big thing people need to look for is... Uh, earnings recession more than anything. When you see year-over-year earnings for companies consistently come in lower, that's a big red flag. That's when you really need to pull the rug in the market and you know either get out or start going short the market. Yeah, you're right. And you kind of hear about it, right, that some of them are slowing down or maybe they haven't, but it's it's still growing. It's yeah, still the thing growing. is, so, so people talk about you know Apple 
slowing growth. It's like, well, yeah, they're slowing, but they make an ungodly amount of money still. It's not like they're losing money. Right. So you start looking at the companies in general. So just look at the S&P earnings year over year. And if you start seeing that decline, not just low growth, but just decline, then then maybe you should be start looking to pull out. But I think as long as earnings keep outperforming, you know, we got really smart, hardworking CEOs running these companies from America and they are motivated to grow earnings and they continue to do it. I can't believe how many years they've been able to continually grow earnings in this bull market. So I don't know when it stops, but they keep doing it. So you can't bet against the market until it stops. Right. So before we end here and before we kind of ask you some advice and and maybe some of the mistakes that you made, I just want to go into some rapid fire, kind of some silly rapid fire questions that we usually do at the end of our, our millionaire interview. So sure. The most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased? Um, I bought a $300 pair of jeans before. Okay. Most expensive shoes? Uh, <laughs> so the most expensive shoes I've ever bought are $500. I let my son buy some $700 Yeezys for me for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Most expensive car? Uh, well, I've got a $50,000 Honda Odyssey. Nice. Uh, most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Uh, well, I do like eating. I think I've probably I've bought multiple dinners that are well over ten thousand dollars for people. Okay. Besides Honda Odysseys, what item or items are worth spending money on to you? Well, I would say the experiences are worth it. So when I spend the most money. It's on our family vacations and things we do outside. Um, I also I mean I like to spend money in my house. So we're here a lot. I just spent a hundred thousand dollars remodeling my kitchen because my wife loves it, and I like to do house remodeling on things I like because. I live here all the time. I work from home and live here. So yeah. it's a good investment to me. Did you go to college? Yep. Like I said, I have an undergrad degree in finance. And oh, a master's sorry. Degree yeah, in yeah. Economics. yeah, that's right. And what was your high school and college GPA, if you can remember? Uh, high school GPA is probably, they're probably both around 3.0. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Favorite, uh, any favorite books or mentors that stood out to you? I know you mentioned a couple mentors earlier. You know, people bash Jim Cramer all the time, but that first book he put out, um, confessions of a uh, Wall Street junkie or something. I can't remember the name, but that first book Jim Cramer put out, that was really influential in my life as an early investor. I, I loved hearing from him and what he's talked about. So people give Jim Cramer crap all the time, but he's a great trader, a smart guy. So that was influential. And uh, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week early on, that was a huge influence on the fact that I could have a business that would cash flow without me working it 24 seven. So that was a, you know, that really became true also. So I give props to him. So one of our our listener questions, Jeff, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on insurance? You have life insurance, disability insurance, uh, you know, ID theft. What what are your thoughts there? Yeah. um, I've got, I do. I mean, I have lots of insurance and different things. So of course I get my house insurance and car insurance and all that stuff. But I've got uh, at this point, I've got a pretty healthy life insurance policy just because the fact so much of my net worth is tied up my business at this point. And, you know, if, if I passed on, I'm majority owner of my business. My partners would uh, get that interest. And I feel like my life insurance policy would uh, basically buy them out or buy my interest from them for the insurance value. So I have a really large life insurance policy because of that. And it's mainly just to cover the investment for my business. And I've got like umbrella insurance and, you know, liability stuff. Otherwise, just like I think every entrepreneur should have. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's important. So do your kids and, and I don't know, friends or family know how wealthy you are? Uh, my wife does, but <laughs> no one else really knows exactly how. I mean, they, they know I got some money. <laughs> so I, I mean, my kids, they don't really know how much, but they know, they know we're not struggling. So this is also something I'm struggling with now is my kids, like I said, I have a 13-year-old and 16-year-old. So they're about to walk into some money in a few years. Um, my wife and I kind of differ on our opinion of this, actually. So she's like, does not want to talk to our kids about this because she doesn't want them to feel self-entitled and feel like they're rich kids and they can just do whatever. And my thinking is we probably should be telling them about you know how many millions of dollars there are and how you should be looking to you know, how you should live your life with this. So, you know, my thinking is your kids are going to wake up one day with millions and then then what's going to happen? Kind of, I think they should know that beforehand, but that's what we're kind of figuring out. There's no books or there's no education on how to raise kids from nothing into millions. So, <laughs> so is your plan to give it to all them when you pass away or donate to charity or, or what's your, what are your thoughts? Have you figured it out yet? You know, that is something we are talking about right now, actually. So we're at the point where we're our net worth would be topping out past what you can uh, tax-free give to your kids at this point. So we're thinking, okay, how much, how much do you want to leave your kids? We don't even know how many, I mean, it's a stupid question. I mean, I don't even know. I feel like this is still even talking about this, but like how many millions should you leave your kids? I don't know. <laughs> we're trying to figure that out. And then the rest I think we'll set up into a trust that our kids, maybe our daughter manages my thinking at this point, I like Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett's got all the money in the world. I think he leaves his kids each 10 million bucks. He's got three kids. They each get 10 million and they run the charities. So if you can't make a living off of 10 million, then I don't think I'm going to leave. He's not going to leave his kids a billion bucks. He says 10 million is plenty. I totally agree with that. That's, that's well. Bill Gates says that, you know, people ask him how much money is enough. He says that after 5 million, it's like, he says it's all the same hamburger after that. You've kind of got everything you want at 5 million. So I think that's a good number. Yeah, I think it's an interesting conversation, and I don't know that we talk about it enough, you know, in the, in the open internet or podcast or whatever. Like, how how do you go about, you know, obviously everybody's opinion is going to differ and stuff, but it's an interesting thing, I think, to think about and discuss. One, when do you tell your kids? How do you tell your kids? And obviously, like, your kids are going to have their own personalities, and you can look at any case study you want you know, across various families in, in this country and other countries of, of what happens or what could happen or what doesn't happen, you know, as you, as you pass wealth down. But I think that's that's cool that, that you and your wife are, are discussing it at such a, a young age. And, you know, I, I'd be interested to see kind of how that plays out, given that y'all are, you know, 15 years ahead of where Clark and I are in that in that realm and kind of figure out what, what you're going to do and kind of how it takes place and and... I guess maybe my other follow-up question to, to that would be, do you teach your kids how to trade and are they kind of getting their own trading account at this point? They don't trade. They haven't really expressed a whole lot of interest. So I really want my kids to kind of figure out what they want to do in life more than anything. Uh, I'm trying to give them all the opportunity to, to learn how to trade. But more importantly, I think that I'm a good businessman. So I feel like that's something I can really let them... The internet's really changed my life, how to run business on the internet. So that's something I like to teach them how to do and maybe they want to have a like my middle son loves buying stuff on StockX, loves buying sneakers and all these cool clothes nowadays so maybe he can have an online business selling stuff or 
my older son loves the Dallas Cowboys and maybe he might have a blog or somebody to make money off of that. So I'd love to be able to share with my kids how you could take your passions at such a young age and build a business off of that. So more than trading, I think that's what I'd like to pass on to them as far as what I've learned. That's cool. Any any last words of advice for our listeners or, or mistakes maybe that you haven't mentioned before that, that you would shed light on? Oh man, lots of mistakes for sure. Uh, how about don't get too confident and think you can't lose on something. It's always bad. <laughs> you can lose. <laughs> uh, you know, the regular stuff, work hard. You know, if you can out hustle people, that's a big, it's a big thing in life, but you got to be smart and lucky along the way too. So you got to be in the right sectors. I always think that there's like three, if you want to make money, so follow your passions, but if there's you want to make money at the same time, there's like three main sectors you should be looking into. So for me, it's money. People love their money. So that's find a way that you can help people manage their money, take care of their money, make more money. They will pay you a lot for that advice. So money is a big sector. Their kids, everyone loves their kids more than anything. So they're going to spend tons of money on their kids. Find a way to help people take care of their kids, make their kids better, smarter, faster, prettier, whatever. Make your kids better. They'll pay money for that and their own health. So people will pay a ton of money to be healthier, prettier, live longer, whatever it is, stronger. Find a way to make that happen. That's what people will spend money on. So position yourself where you can be an expert on one of those three sectors, like find some niche in those three things. And that is an easy way to become really successful. And you can throw pets in there too now. I feel like pets and kids fall in the same category. People want to take care of their pets like their kids. That's <laughs> so super true. <laughs> so, Jeff, where can where can people get a hold of you and, and maybe just give us a little brief bio on your on your company and what people can expect when they when they come to your website and, and what they can learn from you? Yeah. So I'm a co-founder of RagingBull.com. We've been around, you know, almost a decade now in the current state. And we our service is providing ed, uh, investors or want to be investors with just the best financial education. So we're going to teach people how to trade, how to be in the market, how to make money that way. And the best way we know how to do that is by being totally transparent and showing people what real successful traders are doing day after day. So we've got eight professional traders that work with us. Most of them made well over a million dollars in the market. And these people share what they're doing every single day, like what they're looking at in the market. And then showing them when they make trades, and on top of that, showing them their live portfolios. So there's no other place that shows you what these actual traders are doing will be as transparent as, the, as we are with showing people what they're actually trading, when they're trading it. And then you can just learn so much because you can see all the wins, all the losses. And that has been our hallmark to building our business is by being transparent and open with all of our trading. So, so not just by being transparent, but we have the, some of the best traders out there too. That's awesome. Jeff at RagingBold.com. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, guys. It was really good. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at MillionairesUnveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.